Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. Continuation of this morning's program and looking at the way back. Uh, the way back to liberty under God, which was the whole point of Christ coming to set the captive free. Because at that particular time in Judea, the people were not free. Uh, they were under the authority to some degree of the Roman Empire. They were also under the authority of the Pharisees to some degree. And I say degree because it depended upon what the people did that brought them under the authority of the Pharisees and of Herod. Herod was not a legitimate king of Israel by the original standards set down by Moses. The high priest at that particular time, uh, when Jesus was born, was not a legitimate high priest. The Sanhedrin, uh, about the time, that Jesus was born. Maybe, you know, I, do, I don't know the exact date, but I know that the Sanhedrin all walked out because of the corruption that was coming in. But it was actually, the corruption came in years before. I mean, you can you can go back to a generation before. You can go back to two generations before. Uh, I mean, the Romans had come uh, when Pompey was you know, a general of the Roman government. There was no Caesar at that particular time. There was no, you know, imperator at that particular time when Pompey came over. Pompey was a general, but only of Pompey's army. And he sent another general over to Judea because they were having a civil war. And that civil war was the result of corruption. Just like the Civil War in the United States was the result of corruption. I mean, there were good and bad people all over the place. Uh, although I don't want to get into trouble like Trump. There are good and bad people on both sides. Really, there are good bad people in the North and there were good and bad people in the South. I don't know if there were any good and bad people on both sides of the dispute. I just know that there were good and bad people in America at that time. But the dispute was was uh, uh, very confused. You know, was it about states' rights? Was it about slavery? Was it about freeing slaves? Uh, was it about ending slavery? Was it about creating slavery? Where everybody would become a U.S. citizen subject to the United States government instead of individual state citizens, which is what they were before. Now, what it was about, well, it's, it was really about corruption in a lots of different areas. And you can go back to Judea. So when did the corruption, when they started turning the Sanhedrin into a legislative body? It, was it when they invited Pompey to settle this civil war? What, was it back when they decided to have a king in 1 Samuel uh, 8? That was corruption. So the corruption was around for a long time. There was a lot of corruption. A lot of people bringing corruption into Judea. 
And it's been that way from the beginning. We saw it way back when they got the baptism at the foot of Mount Sinai and started setting up the kingdom of God under the authority of Moses, who was relinquishing his authority as Moses, Tutan Moses. He wasn't going to be Tutan Moses. He was going to be Moses drawn from the water. He wasn't going to rule over the people, and he resisted that pretty good. Better than most people. And he tried to teach the people how to be free souls under God. And he shared a lot of information with them. Now, a lot of our impression of the Old Testament, what Moses was doing, what Abraham was doing, what Cain and Abel were doing, is dependent upon an interpretation that has been passed down from generation to generation along with what we call the Holy Scriptures. And even the Holy Scriptures, a lot of what we see in the Hebrew Scriptures that we have uh, involves a great deal of, you know, jots and tittles that were not necessarily a part of everything that was being written originally. And ultimately, whatever was written in the Scripture is, you know, it's not only written on paper, but it is part of the Tree of Knowledge. So there is a source of confusion that can come there because whenever you're interpreting words, you might have a slightly different definition of a word than I do. And so we need dictionaries to know what words mean. We actually don't need dictionaries. We just need to come into agreement as to what you mean when you say a word. And I have to agree with that meaning so that we can have a conversation. And if we don't agree on the meaning of words, then we're not going to have a very fruitful conversation. And so that's just basic. That's just the way things work. That you have to come into agreement. If you come into an accord, that's better than an agreement. And if you come into the accord with the Holy Spirit, that's even better than just coming into accord with each other. But we have to have the conversation sometimes to get from point A to point B. We have to say, well, what do you think this word means? And what do you think this word means? And have a consensus. And you can do that when you have your congregational meetings. You're not defining the words for other people. You're just learning how to communicate with one another. Another part of that conversation is how do you be kind to somebody? How do you be sincere with somebody? You have to be careful about making rules for other people. Oh, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And and you may be right that they shouldn't do something that you're saying that they shouldn't do. But it may be because you're, you're saying what is true for the wrong reason. And that would not be good. Because you're not coming into accord with the truth. You're just coming in. Your rules match up today with what the truth is. Now, the truth is the truth is the truth. But moment by moment, things change. Say, you know, for instance, it's really a good thing to plant a garden. Not necessarily in January, though. That would not be a good thing to plant a garden in January. At least up where I live. So... The idea that this is good in every moment or every time is not necessarily so. 
it may be good that you don't plant a garden. It may be good that you don't go to church. Or that you do go to church. Or that you go to the store. It may be a good idea to go to the store. It may be a bad idea to go to the store. How do you know? Well, it's the Holy Spirit that must tell you. So, what's the Holy Spirit? How do you, you know, how does the Holy Spirit communicate with you? Well, one of the analogies that we're given all the time in the biblical scripture is that Jesus says, I am the light. Well, that, there's a word, light. What's light? For a long time, everybody said light was a wave. But then they started saying that it's a particle. <laughs> and then they started wondering, it doesn't really always act like a particle. Sometimes it acts like a wave and sometimes it seems to act like a particle. So is it a particle that acts like a wave? Or is light actually composed of something? I mean, what's light? You know, it's all kinds of different frequencies. Some lights you can see, some lights you can't see, but that has to do with your eyes. It's still light. But the point is, is this, this light that Christ was is not necessarily the same as the light that comes from your flashlight or from the light bulb above you or from the sun. But it's like light. And, you know, one of the things that they, in their scientific study of what we call light, is that they they come up with a new theory called quantum. And then that created a whole thing about quantum mechanics. And I have some articles up. I'm not going to go to them right now or we're going to go over them. But I have some articles up about, you know, quantum and spirit. Just like I have uh, spiritual DNA. Is there such thing as spiritual DNA? We know that DNA, you know, a strand of DNA, the double helix DNA, can be turned on and turned off. Different strands can be, different segments of the strands can be turned on and turned off. So that the strands, you know, you say, well, this is the strand that gives you blue eyes. So we'll take that out and you won't have blue eyes. Except for you find out, well, you also don't have a spleen (laughs) or something. I'm just making that up. But the point is is that the DNA particles have multiple purposes. And you have a thing called epigenetics that turns on those different segments of the strand. And it's just phenomenal that you have two DNA strands gathered together in the thing we call the womb, and grow a baby with liver and spleens and hearts and fingers and toes and a brain. And somehow there seems to be a separate identity in this baby that is neither the father nor the mother, but is somehow, physically at least, we see composed of both. Well, in the spiritual realm, could they... Spirit of the Mother and the Spirit of the Father also be doing something to generate the existence of the child. The child, the spirit of the child is drawn towards them or not drawn towards them or created by the influence of their own spirit. And, uh, well, I can't tell you. 
I don't know, but it's it's interesting to ponder this. And these events are happening in what scientists will call the quantum. In this below particle, below substance universe that is all around us. It's less than, you know, it's not an atom. It's not an electron and a neutron and a proton. It's something less than those things even. Or, you know, smaller than. Less substantive than those things. And that, that quantum, is that influence, is that in the, does it, if we keep reducing it down, do we get into the realm of spirit? Is there a spiritual realm? And this is what I find so fascinating. All these atheist scientists are now coming up with explanations of what makes the universe work. What gives it its its consistency is actually outside of the realm of physical physics. It's somewhere in the quantum. Somewhere in this other realm that is influenced. So are we influenced by that? So... What would finding out the definition of words, how would that affect the quantum, the spirit of reality? Well, it doesn't really. You see, one of the things about witchcraft, when they talk about witchcraft, is that witchcraft is they're trying to adjust the physical world to affect the spiritual world. You know, create a potion or a chant or, a, a, you know, a spell. That they say certain words, do certain things, and they affect the spiritual realm. Actually, it can affect, you know, you make a voodoo doll and you stick pins in it, and it's a doll of somebody on the other side of the country, and supposedly they start getting pains in these places. Well, that I'm just saying, the theory behind witchcraft, that's what they're doing. They're trying to change the spiritual realm by altering the physical realm. It doesn't... That isn't the way the world was created. It's the spiritual realm that creates the physical realm. But what people don't know, when you go through the process of making a voodoo doll and sticking pens in it, that process is causing your spirit to act out in a particular way. And it's not really the physical doll that and the pens that causes the pain in the person if it if they even do that. But it's your spiritual focus on the idea of doing that. And this is this is key. What what do you want? What do you want spiritually? Do you want more life for yourself? Well Jesus told you you have to lay down your life in order to have more life for yourself. Now, other people will tell you, no, that you, you can get more life by, you know, accumulating wealth and accumulating power and all these things. That you will get more power by accumulating the power over others. But it's actually the reverse. The more you try to get power over others, the more others will have power over you. It's the reverse of what we're being taught. So, when I had this discussion with an individual about... Elders, and, you know, I was just trying to find out where he was. I was having the conversation because he was saying that the church back then and the church today were doing different things. Absolutely a true statement. But what he thought the church should be doing today 
was based on what he thinks the church was doing in the first century. And his it appears, from what he's told me so far, that he doesn't know what the church was doing in the first century. So his desire to get back to the first century church is fundamentally flawed because the church he's trying to get back to did not exist. His image of the first century church is false. He's working real hard and and evidently sincere to get back to the first century church that he imagines exists. Now, the interesting thing about this, if he, the more sincere he really is to get back to the first century church, even though his image of the first century church is false, it can actually, because his desire is, is, is legitimate, his, his brain is misinformed, but his desire is legitimate, to get back to the first century church. To get back to what the original church was doing. He just has misinformation in his head about what that first century church was doing. So in having the conversation and pointing out that elders is not an office created by the first century church or created by Christ. Elder, the term elder was around long before Jesus Christ began his ministry. It's in the Old Testament. It's in Rome. It's in Greece. It's in Corinth. It's in Ephesus. They all knew what elder was. It's the head of a family. It's the elder grandfather or father in a family. That's an elder. He was elder by circumstance. Now, was he a good elder, a bad elder? Well, we have to look at what he was doing. But it is true that the Bible says that so-and-so appointed elders. But he didn't appoint men to be elders. He appointed elders to be something. And we, we identified those offices of the church. And I'm using the word office not as a title, but simply as a descriptive word defining what he's doing. You know, like we have words like mechanic. Somebody's a mechanic. You know, well, he might be a licensed diesel mechanic who's got a diploma in mechanical engineering and and fixing diesels and so, but he's a mechanic. He also may be a shade tree mechanic, what we call shade tree mechanic. Has no diploma, has no license, just been fiddling with cars since he was a teenager. Which one is a better mechanic? Well, I couldn't tell you. I'd have to know more. But both of them are mechanics. Because both of them do mechanical things on mechanical objects like vehicles, etc. And, but one may ruin your truck and the other one may fix your truck. (laughs) And I can't can't tell you which one. Because license doesn't tell you. You know, the shade of the tree doesn't tell you. Uh, you find out other ways. So, it's the same way with ministers. There could be a minister who is really good at ministering to the people based on the precepts of Christ. 
uh, the teachings of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, what Christ said. He may be, because he may have the Holy Spirit in his heart and in his mind. He may. And then he may have him some of the time, and some of the time his human nature may take over. Hopefully, the more the Holy Spirit takes over, the better he will be. But how do you know which minister, which person? Because of his diploma? Because of the collar that he wears? Because he's soft-spoken and and talks about Jesus and talks about loving one another. I knew guys like that. They were molesting their daughter. Uh, I knew a guy like that who sold his daughter to other men for money, for profit. He's in jail now. She's a mental case. Well, I I doubt she's listening. She has mental problems. Definitely. Now, of course, now, her remedy for those mental problems was not Christ. Her remedy was the governments of men. And the governments of men... Uh, have traumatized her too. You know, welfare, etc. It, it, it traumatized her. It made her weak. And then, of course, drugs. Oh, you got to take these drugs because you have depression. And so, she's just been going from one trauma to the next. But, the reality is, is so how do you know which minister is of Christ and which minister is not of Christ? Well, it has to be humble enough to hear the truth and receive the truth. Just before the show started, uh, I wrote the guy and uh, thought maybe I was just getting a response from him about elders. Because he thinks that the elders was an office and he's mentioned and I talked about it this morning Tertullian and and uh, Clement and Ignatius and he mentions these guys that they all thought that Elder was an office so I thought like well did I miss some because I've read most of these guys and I never saw that <laughs> so I I quickly went back and looked at Clemens and Looked at his instructions. He got several books of instructions. And, you know, for new new Christians, what he said for new Christians. And uh, we may go over that. That would be a great topic for a program to go over that. But I actually went over to the Greek in some of those writings of Clement. And uh, Clement of Alexandria, as they call him sometimes. Clemens sometimes without the T. But I went over and looked at that and compared the Greek. And I, you know, in some of those writings, he only mentioned the word elder once. And uh, so I went at the, looked at the translation of the phrase that it did mention the elder. And I think it's a poor translation. It doesn't do a lot of harm in the translation. It certainly doesn't say that elder is a, an office of the church. But it talks about elders honoring their fathers. And so, but it was a, when they, the Greek word for father there, you know, I mean, there's like six, seven, eight different ways you can write the word father in Greek. And it's all the same word that you can write, you know, the word father in Greek. And uh, 
so I went and looked, and, and, and I, I found that variation, and so I thought, well, did they use that in the Bible? Something, something told me to say, you know, go look that up in the Bible and see if anybody used that particular form of the word father, the Greek word for father, in the Bible. And so I did. And it was used three times, I think. I've, I've added that now to the page so that people could take a look at it but on Clemens. But, uh, and I'll probably do more because I'm still going through some of the other books and there's Tertullian. He mentioned Tertullian. And trying to find, is any of them say this? And of course, Ignatius talks about elders and bishops and deacons. And uh, uh, Clemens actually wrote after Ignatius, if I remember my chronology right. Don't hold me to that. Not that everybody's going to go out and check me on that. But uh, <laughs> they wrote about the same time. And they're all pre-Constantine. That's, that's the important thing. Pre-Nicene Council. Which was... Nicene Council, that's, that's a council of Constantine. I mean, he even called it. Although some people will try to debate that. It's pretty clear he not only called it, he said where it was going to be. Because it wasn't where his other associates said it was, it was going to be. It's where Constantine said it was going to be. Because Constantine was their benefactor. He was the one who was going to give them lots of money, etc., etc. And he also was going to put the strong arm of government behind their decisions. You know, like if they wanted somebody exiled... Constantine was going to see to it that that individual got exiled. I'm pretty sure that Jesus would not have gone to Caesar and say, will you exile these Pharisees and get them out of (laughs) Judea? Because they're saying the wrong thing. I mean, Jesus could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't, and see, if we go back to the story, if you have an understanding of history, when the Romans came there, they came there to help stop a civil war between Aristobulus and Hyrcanus. And Aristobulus had invited them. But he actually sent away to a foreign general and asked the foreign general to come to Judea and defend him against a rival relative actually who said that he was the rightful king that that of course is in violation of what Moses wrote down you're not supposed to be doing that making agreements he actually sent him a lot of money and, and at least a lot of gold but Pompey when he finally did come he sent a general first and then eventually he came and looked at the books to find out who had the legitimate claim he didn't back Aristobulus. His reading of the law, based on what they were telling him the law was, Aristobulus did not have the better claim. Hyrcanus did. And of course, Pontius Pilate decided that Jesus had the best claim. <laughs> and he made a royal pro- proclamation uh, in three languages to verify that Jesus had the legitimate claim as king of Judea. Which is all playing out in this quantum realm as well as in the physical realm. And it's the spiritual realm that makes it happen. And this is why Constantine 
feigned an acceptance, or at least took off the restrictions of Christianity. He didn't really become a Christian. He just said, Christians get to practice. We're going to be tolerant of Christians get to practice their religion, even pure religion. They don't have to sign up with the government temples to get free bread from Rome. Of course, they didn't want free bread from Rome. But they didn't have to sign up for the government temples anymore and contribute to those temples, which were government buildings providing lots of government services. Didn't have to do that. They could do their own. And of course, the early church had already established a temple built without hands. A temple made of living stones. A temple that held the treasury of the kingdom in the hearts of every man who gathered together in a network of love and charity and hope. That's what the kingdom of God was. It's a government. It's a voluntary, intentional community based on the values of the creator of heaven and earth who breathed life into Adam and Eve. And and like Jesus who breathed life into the apostles when he came out of the tomb and breathed upon them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's a form of government. That's the way it's defined in Black's Law Dictionary. Been defined that way. Black's third, Black's fourth, Black's fifth, Black's sixth, Black's seventh. I think they're at least up to nine. They may be up to Black's twelfth by now. I don't know. But the church was one form of government established by Jesus Christ. Now, it was an actual physical government. It actually had physical offices. Bishop was certainly one, although sometimes they translate as episcopo in the Greek, but it was probably translated either bishop or overseer. It's not like the bishops today, and the, the fellow on Facebook was right. About that. And the same is true of the deacons. The deacons today are not like the deacons back then. And the churches today are not doing what the early church did. And I don't have to read Tertullian to know that. I don't have to read Ignatius to know that. I don't have to read Clemens to know that. Or even Justin the Martyr to know that. Although they would verify what I'm telling you. But the truth is, even the bishops of Constantine will give you a hint as to what the early church was doing. The problem with the bishops of Constantine is they weren't doing it the way the early church was doing it. They weren't doing it the way Christ said to do it. They weren't doing it according to the will of the Father, who art in heaven, who hallowed be his name, separate be his name. They weren't doing it like that. And the truth is, they weren't doing it like Abraham and Moses either. They were doing it like Cain, Nimrod, Pharaoh, and Caesar. Which is not the way of Christ. And so, if you know they're doing it that way, you know the nation's not going to be free. It's going to go back into bondage. And it has. So the way back is to actually go back where Christ was. So, so far, you know, I wrote them and said, where 
Where did Tertullian say this? Where did Clement say this? Where did Ignatius say this? Because I can't find it. I don't recall it. He says he remembers that they said these things. I don't think he does. I think they remember a translation they read that mentions the word elder or mentions the word bishop. But that doesn't make it that elder was an office of the church. And why is that important? Well, the important thing is you have to realize that what you already believe is true just ain't so. So that you make room when you let go of those false religions, when you let go of them, you have a place to put the truth when it comes in. Now, now we'll go full circle. <laughs> we'll go back to the beginning. Light. What, let us, what lets light in? How do we see the light? Well, if, if we have false information in front of the light, we're not going to see. We're, we're going to be in darkness. We have to let go of that which is clouding our vision so that we can see the light, so that the light can come in and illuminate our minds and our hearts. We have to let go of that which creates darkness in our heart. And I will go full circle back to the lady who was sold by her parents, or by her father. Her mother was implicated in the fact that her mother knew something was going on and didn't do anything about it. Now, remember, the father's a minister of a church that thinks that he is a man of God. And he's pimping out his daughter, young daughter, to other men who are paying him. Wow. Wow. <laughs> You know, like, so, of course, now he's just a victim of the evil that has infested him. Why? How could a minister of the church? I know other people that are think that you know that they're following Christ and that they're doing all kinds of things that Christ said to do, and they're absolutely afraid that somebody will say certain words and jinx their life. Because you said these words over us and you made it come true. Well, if you really believe in God, you should be able to cast out those demons. And of course, like I've said, you cast out demons with love, not with fear. And so they're, they're not Christians. They think they are. They're working hard to become Christians, making all kinds of concessions, mostly to a family member who's controlling them. But if they really want to see the truth and are willing to see the truth, the whole truth, they can overcome the influence, the trauma, the control of their parents, of the government. You know, like you see these videos of guys say that I'm a sovereign, I'm not a person, I don't, I'm a free man. Uh, I, I don't have a last name. I don't have a first name. I mean, you probably haven't seen these, but I've seen some of those. I've known some of those guys. But you mentioned to them, well, Christ actually set people free. Oh, yeah, yeah, they'll even agree to that. Moses actually set people free. But they he, they weren't instructing the Christians to go around and tell everybody they're sovereign. 
No, I mean, the apostles went around saying they're bond servants. <laughs> so, 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 somebody's got their, their wires crossed and their messages mixed. We need to take another look at some of that because what they're saying doesn't seem to be so. Doesn't seem to be the case. Doesn't seem to match the doctrine of Jesus. Somebody was upset that I said doctrines of Jesus as if it's plural. But doctrine just means teachings. And we can put the teachings of Jesus are all the things that he taught us. And we can make that plural, but that guy doesn't want us to make doctrine plural because there's something that's evil. Well, I understand, you know, I made that concession uh, in, in writing him. But if you look up doctrines with an S or doctrine without an S, you're going to get the same page. <laughs> because I understand the doctrine of Jesus is a singular doctrine. And in truth, it's the doctrine of Moses and it's the doctrine of Abraham. Nobody did it as well as Jesus, but at least so far that I've seen. But uh, it is it is one doctrine in that sense, but... It, Doctrines are teachings, and teachings are doctrines. So, therefore, he taught us lots of different things. So, it's okay to make it plural or singular. Just not with that guy. But this is the danger, is that we start imposing, oh, you can only say it this way, you can only say it that way. You can tell right away that certain people are are following a spirit of control, a spirit of domination, a spirit of exercising authority over others. We're supposed to be exercising love over others. And and we should be charitable enough to allow people to use certain words. Now, we can call them out on it, but we should call them out on it with love. And you'll get a different product when you do that. So anyway, the ultimate thing is, is that we need to turn around and go this other way. And the... One of the evil, like I said, you you cast out demons with love. But it has to be the love of Christ. The love from the Holy Spirit of Christ. It it, it is a force. You know, there's an experiment you can do with infrared light and ultraviolet light. And where they have, you know, charged, two charged Uh, pieces of like gold foil and you shine a light on it you shine one kind of light on it and the foil that is being repelled and separated collapses and comes together because you've interfered with the charges that are keeping the foil apart and the light did that And then you shine a different light on it and it doesn't do it. It doesn't knock the particles out of the way. So what, what, what's, what light do you want shining through you? Well, you want the light of Christ. That's how it's the light of Christ, which is the love of Christ. Not the love of Christ, but the love, really you could use the word almost from Christ through the Holy Spirit into you. Shining out from you to others. It's not what you do. What you do will be regulated by your faith in the light of Christ. 
It will guide you. It will show you the way. It will lighten the path that God wants you to go. And you must daily, moment by moment, choose to follow that path. But it's in the quantum realm of spirit, or the spiritual realm that even supersedes the quantum realm, that that light is generated in you, and it will manifest in all parts of you. But you have to let that light shine in you. What blocks that light is trauma. Hate, judgment, greed, avarice, you know, all these things that we see as selfish. That's And we are all selfish at times. We were born selfish. But we needed to be a little selfish when you were born. Because you... I mean, you're not sucking for your mother. You're sucking for yourself. You're not sucking for your father. You're sucking for yourself. And you need that. You need that incentive to live. But then when you grow up, then you have to give life back. And this is why we're given commandments like to honor thy father and thy mother, which means to fatten. You have to take care of your father and your mother when they're older and cannot take care of themselves so that your days will be long upon the land because you will be setting an example for your own children. Not just setting an example, but actually rippling the light of your love and your forgiveness of your parents into the universe. And hope that it comes back to you. Casting your bread upon the waters in hopes that it comes back to you. That That is what we're doing. That's what we should be doing. Now, now we're warned about false prophets. False religion. I mean, uh, Matthew 7.15, beware of false prophets. That's pretty pretty straightforward <laughs> uh, thing that we're warned about. Which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. That was that guy and his daughter. He was a ravening wolf. Nobody, everybody was shocked when they found out what he was doing. Like I said, he's in prison now. And she's a basket case. Struggling with it. Uh, Matthew twenty four eleven, And many false prophets, many, not few, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. How do you know if you're being deceived or not? You know, I don't think, you know, well, I don't want to necessarily use Tertullian. Well, we could say Tertullian, Ignatius, these early writers. You know, I believe firmly that there were a lot more writers than Clemens and Tertullian and Polycarp and, and these early members of the church. There were a lot more of these writers than we know about. But these are the ones that were allowed to survive. Their writings were allowed to survive. Maybe partially because they were ambiguous enough or there were just too many copies. They couldn't get rid of all of them. Or they didn't even know what they were trying to get rid of. Um, Matthew twenty four twenty four. For there shall arise false Christs. Now, the word Christ means anointed. So, when I say false Christ, it isn't people who say, I am the Christ. But it's people who are saying that they're anointed. Your politicians can 
you know, especially, you know, your fundamentalist politicians that, oh, that he was anointed by God to rule the country. Well, if you just said that, you just made him a Christ. Because that's what Christ means. Anointed to be your rulers. There are many people you think are anointed to be your ruler. That's a false Christ, odds are. Well, well, I can almost guarantee that they're false Christ. Because Christ didn't come to rule over you. He, He could rule over evil, but he didn't rule over you. I mean, again... Back to Ambrose and Constantine and, and some of these guys at the Nicene Council who wanted to exile certain people, wanted to persecute certain people, didn't believe like they did, even though, you know, short time before they weren't even Christians. I, I think Ambrose is just a great story because Ambrose didn't even want to be a, a bishop. It's just all these instant Milan Christians who just suddenly became Christians they didn't repent and become Christians. They just went out and got baptized to become Christians. And they needed somebody to run their welfare system in Milan. See, the Christians had a system of welfare that operated by the perfect law of liberty and faith, hope, and charity. But all the pagans, what we call pagans, that had other religions that were at that time pretty much the state religion because of the fact that they had outlawed private religion with Saturninus. Now, you should know all these things, especially if you've been listening. you probably heard me say all these things. But they they had outlawed private religion so that now when you got this edict of Milan and and Constantine is saying that you guys are going to have to set up your own religions, you can have your own, in order to provide the welfare. I mean, that was your social insurance, your social safety net. That's what religion was. And so they said, okay, well, we're going to set up one like the Christians. Because the Christians one was working pretty good. And so now you could set that up. And the reason why Constantine was feeling so benevolent is that he couldn't afford to support everybody the way he was before. He had to get the people contributing. They saw that the free bread of Rome was degenerating the people. They saw it back with Juvenal and... And a lot of others, but that was hundreds of years before and they continued and it was just making a mess. So they knew that people had to start paying in like the Christians did and start taking care of one another. Now, while the Christians, their wealth was in the hearts and minds and souls of the individuals in a living network of charity, a fervent charity, the, these new Christians were still going to be setting up central banks and depositories for their wealth. But they they needed somebody they could trust to manage it, and that's why they picked Ambrose, because he was already in the business of doing that, working for Caesar, Constantine. But now they wanted him to be a Christian bishop in this new system that Constantine was setting up, which was similar to Christianity, but not exactly. And... So he said he had to take some time off to read about Christianity because he didn't know anything about it. But he's already elected by the people to be this new bishop. And this is one of the things I pointed out. And the guy was, I never heard this. Well, hey, read the article on Ambrose. And, I mean, I there's footnotes there. This is These facts are not in dispute for the most part. Some people may say, well, it's a little more this way or that. We have... 
his appeal to the Roman Senate to persecute people who were not Christians like he thought they ought to be. And, and we have the list of funds that were given to bishops that were set up by Constantine. And we know where Constantine got the funds by killing his opponents and murdering them. So this is the birth of Constantine's church, which is just a reverse of Christ. Constantine is making himself rich. Jesus was rich, but made himself poor. That's what it says in the Bible. Uh, the Roman church wants you to think that he was born in some little poor, you know, carpenter guy and, you know, barely could pull two farthings together or a denarii together. No, Jesus was born rich. His family was rich. His uncle was rich. Joseph was rich. People say, well, why is that important? Because it, once you find out from the historical record who these people were that were in Jesus' life, then it makes sense when you read in the New Testament that it says, though he was rich, he made himself poor. You know, Moses could have been the Pharaoh of Egypt. But he was willing to give all that up to set the people free. Jesus was willing to give up his life of luxury and comfort in order to set you free. Wasn't even a choice to him. It was it was just what he was. And there are other people around in the world today that are willing to do that. And that they're willing to help people. But you don't just give to people to help them. Because that could weaken them. And of course that's what the modern social welfare has been doing. It's been weakening people who are already poor by helping them in a way that does not strengthen them. Like the girl. Who was damaged by her Christian father who wasn't really Christian. And then weakened by a life on welfare. She didn't need that. She needed to give that up. She needed to let that go. And maybe she will yet. And start taking responsibility for her life. And there's a lot of scars there. That will have to be healed. But Christ showed us the way. And the way was not the way of the world. So, anyway, for there shall arise false Christs, false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. Huge crowds of people accepting Jesus, but not really. Huge crowd that would elect Ambrose to be their bishop, but it's not established by Christ. Insomuch that if it were possible... They shall deceive the very elect. Now, a lot of people are claiming to be the elect. I would never claim to be the elect. <laughs> but, but I believe there is there is really elect. And, and we have to... You might want to go back to the original Greek and try to find out what they mean by elect there. And there's more verses around that. We won't read them all now. There's almost always links on our page to those verses. But... Uh, yeah, the elect are those who aren't deceived. Who are willing to hear the voice of God in their hearts and minds. And willing to walk that path as inconvenient as it may often be. 
as sacrificing as it may often require. And it's perseverance. That's why Christ uses words like perseverance and strive. Now, you're never going to earn the kingdom. You're never going to earn that grace, that that quantum spiritual power. You never become deserving of it. But you could receive it if God so elects. And what you want to do is that which will draw you closer to God and draw God closer to you, which always involves sacrifice. If you sacrifice for your children in a righteous way, that will come back and reward you. But if you sacrifice for your neighbor's children, that will come back and reward you as well. It's the sacrifice. God is the accountant, not me. Mark thirteen twenty two. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. So, we're seeing this in Matthew and Mark. Slightly different. Even in Luke six twenty six. Woe unto you. When all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. They thought highly of them. They thought, oh, there's that. They thought highly of the guy who was pimping out his daughter, selling her, literally selling her to other men. I mean, I don't even know men who would do that. I mean, it's just beyond. But the reality is we can stoop to lower and lower levels of righteousness. Or unrighteousness. If we aren't, we're either going towards the light or going farther into darkness. So, you know, that's, you know, I, I pursue what God puts on my heart to pursue. So I I was curious and and the guy has not written me back. I noticed that several people on that particular group, which... Are, are reading the posts and maybe I made the post not for me but for other people oh well he did write <laughs> well I shouldn't take time to read it now but I can glance down to it really uh... so now he wants me to show him but I did I sent him the yeah they mention elders they mention elders it's a term the elders are mentioned all throughout the Old Testament there wasn't offices called elders. Mentioning elders does not make it that an office of the church. I mean, like I said, the Senate were called elders. They were also called fathers. Now, that was an office. Because a father is an office of the family. When you start calling the government father, then you are now joining the family of the government. One way you can guarantee that you've done this is, is there an inheritance tax? Because in the kingdom of God, there is no inheritance tax. Everything that you want to pass down to your children is passed down to you. And, and I said this this morning, in the kingdom of God, there is no income tax. Everything that you produce belongs to you. Now you may produce some things with the help of others and then you have to work that out. But the reality is, your labor belongs to you. That's what being free is. If your labor doesn't belong to you, you're not free. 
But running around and refusing to pay your income tax doesn't make you free either. It just may make you a rebel. If you owe Caesar, pay Caesar. But I'm telling you, and I've explained it in books like The Covenants of Gods, which is free online, why you owe Caesar. And the reason why ultimately comes down because you're not doing what Christ said, and you're not doing what Christ said because you guys want to believe what they were told by somebody that just ain't so. And so, it's not important whether you know that elder is an office of the family, being the eldest of the family. It's not essential that you know that. It's essential that you listen to the Holy Spirit. But some people don't listen to the Holy Spirit. They listen to the spirit of liars. And they don't even know it. They listen to the spirit of men who want power over you and control over you. And that's what Constantine wanted. He he didn't want to take care of all the social welfare of the people. So he said, well, let's do it like the Christians. Not exactly like the Christians. who took care of 100% of all the social welfare through faith, hope, and charity. We'll do some of it through charity. But we'll also get large gifts from the government to subsidize the church. But it's the church of Constantine. Because... Real Christians would not take those subsidies. They would not look to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And and we've given you shows about like Australia and New Zealand how they were taking care of all the you know unwed mothers and needy of their society through charity and the government comes along and says, oh, we'll help you. And they actually gave money to churches to help them do these services to the community. Well, in a few decades, suddenly they were imposing rules upon the church. Well, now you cannot, you you cannot, you know, this person can be totally immoral and taking drugs and alcohol and everything else. And you still have to give to them. You can't have a moral criteria in your charity. And of course, that's going to spell the absolute downfall and destruction of society. And of course that's where we've gone. And we've been showing that in the series right along. But anyway, so... Yeah, there is no evidence that I have seen from anybody. Yeah, they talk about elders, but there is no evidence that elder is an office of the church. And people need to repent of that nonsense. Uh, and start finding out what the church really was. And that takes a certain amount of humility, but humility is the ultimate key. So... Until then, I can say peace on your house and may God be with you. And God bless. Join us on the network at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. But make real contact and start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, 
Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.